everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gabe Phillips Show. We are back and we have got uh, an outstanding episode ahead for you and I know you're going to enjoy it, you're going to love it. It is exciting, it's exhilarating. We've got one of my all-time favorite friends called Malcolm Herbert, aka the Heresy Hunter. And uh, he's with us here tonight, uh, joining us for this episode. And Malcolm, what a privilege to be able to chat with you and to dig in some, to open up some heresy tonight. And to expose some heresy, uh, you're, you're a warrior, you're, you're a man, you're a family man, you're a businessman, you're a man in the church. Lovely to have you on, on the show. Fantastic to be here. And I, I have to say, it kind of feels like I got somebody else's invite, but I'm here and I'm keen to do it with you. Fantastic to be here. If you don't know who Malcolm is, Malcolm is somebody who's going to be a recurring guest on the show every now and again. He's a man who, who loves the Word of God. He's a man who is, uh, who, is, uh, who is moonlighted as a pastor at times as well. But he's also a man, a, a, a crusader, a vigilante online, defender of the truth. And uh, we're going to go talk some, uh, some great stories. He's got some incredible, uh, amazing adventures that he's had online. Uh, but before we get there, Malcolm, tell us a little bit about your backstory, where you come from. Maybe we can open that up a little bit. You grew up in a, in a Baptist pastor's home. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. And um, Dad was a Baptist pastor. He was also a math teacher. And as I was constantly reminded by my parents, if you get born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. It's true. So very, very true. Good words. And so, uh, yeah, I, I grew up with, with um, lots of church around me, yeah. in lots of church. And it, was, it just became a big part of my life. But my brother actually brought me to the Lord when I was six. Brilliant. And that was, that was incredible, actually. And uh, it, it, it did stick, although I recommitted my life to the Lord when I was about 16. But saw lots of good and bad church, I think, in, 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 in over many years. And my dad, funny enough, was, was badly hurt in the pastorate. So he, he left that in 1980, went back into teaching. Wow. And that's what actually brought us, moved us from, from Grahamstown to Cape Town. But um, yeah, those, those formative years, it was a Baptist sort of, you know, a fairly conservative, theological, Baptist, reformed heritage. Yeah. And a lot of that has also stuck. Amazing. <laughs> Love it. And um, yeah, but I think, I think what's been incredible is that with all the church I've seen, good and bad, it's just, you know, the gospel is the gospel. There's life in it. Yeah. There's always life in it. There's always a future in it. So, and I still believe I'm passionate about the local church, passionate about church being done well and being done to the glory of God. And yeah. And done it. biblically. And it's, it's worth defending. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> which we'll get into. But I want to fast forward your own story to, um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, 1994, you are in St. James Church. 93. 93 in St. James yep. Church here in, in Cape Town. Mm. And um, you are the... The church was, it was this, the famous bombing of that church. You were actually yes. in that church during that, that moment. Tell us a little bit about that fateful day. I was, and, and that was the uh, middle of winter. I mean, it, it, was, it was a very, for, for, for folk who might not have, have too much of a background, a very fragile, tense time in, the, in, in South Africa. Of course, 94 was our transition, uh, transitional government. Nelson Mandela was freed in 91. But... There was a lot of there was a lot of, of of stuff going on in that particular night. There was a mission that was commissioned by APLA, the Azanian People's Liberation Army. Okay. They sent, I think it was four cadres to uh, to the church, and the aim, as I understand it, they thought that their church would be exclusively white. It was in a white suburb. Yeah. However, it was at least forty percent um, non-white, a multiracial church, big church, probably fifteen hundred people sure. there that night pouring with rain, and I'll never forget it. I mean, 
we were just sitting. There was a there was a, uh, a song item I think happening at the time. It was about half an hour into, into the into the service, and I just saw the, the the door open to the left of the stage, and one of the shooters walked in, but it was so surreal. It was almost wow. like theatre. Yeah. You know, you kind of you're watching it, and you just saw the the, the flashes of gunfire, and Goodness. you still don't register. Yeah. Then he stepped back another step forward and then threw two grenades into the congregation. Wow. And when, when those went off, obviously, and the, the, the back windows of the church blew out and, and then you kind of realized, my goodness. And, but by then, in terms of where, where I was sitting, um, uh, tragically, a, a youngster two rows behind me had been killed. He'd been shot already. Sure. It was, I mean, the, the night was chaos. And ultimately, 11 people died. 58 injured. It was an, an absolute uh, travesty. And, 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 and especially, again, the irony of, of, of kind of attacking a soft target, which is yeah. the church. But that night, thank God, and, and again, this could bring a whole discussion around guns and around firearms, but a gentleman by the name of Charles van Veik had a, 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 a firearm on him. Wow. And thank the Lord, he started shooting back, and he wounded one of them. And that actually stopped him because apparently the, the, the next stage was going to be four petrol bombs into the church. Uh, but by God's grace, he had a firearm on him and they, they fled. Um, and the, the, oh, the longer story is that they were, they were arrested eventually, they were caught, but then they got amnesty. But there have been some amazing stories of reconciliation, actually, between Charles and, and some of the, 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 the victims okay. and the perpetrators. Wow. Um, there were some stories there, and and yeah, but it was a it was an unbelievable night. I just remember, funny enough, trying to get to the phone, the public phone, to phone yeah. my parents to let them know that I was okay. Mm-hmm. And the Cape Town Cape Times reporters in front of me, like getting his story, and I'm trying to tell him, you know, I just want to let my folks know that I'm okay. Wow. And he's like, forget it, I'm busy. Goodness, <laughs> but yeah, but but the way the church handled it, I mean, Frank Retief and 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 the Ross Anderson was there that night. Just just an incredible. I mean. A, you know, just hard to believe still, thinking back, but just an absolute tragedy for families of loss and wow. injury. Such a, I can imagine, a surreal experience, uh, something that you, you never imagine you'll be a part of, you read about. No, you, never. Yeah, you see, uh, these days we see stories of, of that nature, yeah. maybe in, in different shapes and forms, but happening again and again, but it almost feels outside of your world and to actually be a part of it must be quite a surreal thing to think back and sheesh, and such a key part time of our nation's history and so with, as yeah. you said such deep ramifications and realities that lead to this moment mm. and and yeah such a, a, a surreal thing but actually that's the, it often often these moments seem wrapped up in, in with religion these political you can't almost yes. political and religion political and the church right and um so it is quite a journey i, I can imagine for you uh, coming out of that, as you said, it didn't affect you directly in the sense of there it was there was it was all around you, and you managed mm. to escape the, the direct fire uh, line of fire. Yeah. How have you de- dealt with that in your heart? How did you deal with, um, I, I suppose, uh, racism or with uh, yeah. not getting caught up in the funeral of that moment mm. and being able to hey to re- navigate almost with a higher thought process saying actually what is actually going on here. Yeah, I think I think there are two aspects to that. The first one is is the trauma of the event itself. Yes. Secondly, is is that obvious sort of implication about about South Africa and the reality of of, of what we're living, and I think the first on the first part, what I suppose in 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 one sense helped me because for some folk they they weren't sort of in 
kind of the line of fire, yeah. which which I was. Wow. So we kind of had no choice but to, but to um, help do whatever we could, just to to help the wounded, to help people. And I guess in in a strange way, that probably helped me to process some of what had actually happened. Yeah. Because we, we we literally couldn't just leave. We had to, we had to you know just just help wherever we could. Um. So and then but then second to that, I think. You know. <sighs> I guess the word the word of God is is simply the the, the beacon and yeah. to deal with with even any question of racism in, in 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 a Christian's life or in the life of a church, we need one verse that yeah. in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, yeah. and we are all one. Yeah. So racism is not an option for a Christian; it yeah. just isn't. <clears throat> and I mean, we haven't got time tonight, but but to to try and sort of dig that back into the historicity of South Africa, wow. the sort of theological underpinnings of a, of a Christian nationalist yes. racist kind of theology. I mean, is, you know, they're, they're kind of sort of allusions to fathers of apartheid theologically, you know, like Abraham Kuyper potentially, I, I wouldn't say that, but, you know, some of those theological yeah. underpinnings coming from, from some of those very conservative uh, Calvinistic roots. But it's, it just really isn't an option. And, and I think, th- apart from the trauma, uh, I think there's there's always just been a natural understanding that there are perpetrators of violence. There's evil in the hearts of man, of any race, any any culture, any history. Yeah. And as Christians, we 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 have to deal with evil as we find it. And again, with a principle. And again, I don't want to get into a debate about guns, but because I I I hate them. But I fully understand the necessity to protect innocent life. Yeah, I think that for me is a principle as well. I love it, Malcolm, and I think it makes you uh, pr- the way you handled these different situations and navigated it through a theological lens. I think makes you a prime candidate uh, or uh, the, the 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 prime online vigilante that we need for this day and age. And uh, that's why we have you here as well as the heresy hunter. Now, almost the segue I want to say was from dodging bombs in dropping bombs. Almost it seems a little bit trite to say that. But uh, I mean, you are known in, in, in our circle as a man of defend of truth. Uh, and, uh, and I love the fact that um, you've got a few stories of how you've engaged recently in the last few years online with some, um, some big names. And uh, what's amazing is you've got replies. And, uh, and I thought it'd be really good just to maybe talk through some of those a little bit. Maybe the first one we need to talk about is the big name, Joel Osteen. Joel <laughs> Osteen, Joel Osteen, however you want to pronounce it. But uh, famously, you have, uh, you're, not a, you're not a fan um, of his theology. No. You are quite opposed to some of that, the, what, uh, and I quote probably, light and fluffy type theology. <laughs> um, but you are also a man that is, uh, you're, you're against uh, the pharisaical Heart yeah. as well. It's not about uh, trying to uh, try and just pin someone against the wall there. So maybe can you give us some of the backdrop of how your wranglings with some of Joel Osteen's critics and how remarkably Malcolm Herbert, the heresy hunter himself, became Joel Osteen's defender. How did that happen? And maybe can you talk us through the, the back and forth of that email exchange? Yeah, well, just, just to start with, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not a Joel Osteen fan. <laughs> and as you know, I've... <laughs> I've bought you a couple of his books over the years just as a joke. But um, in essence, what what happened there was I, I came across a gentleman by the name of Todd. Yes. Online, who was, and, 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 and just, we'll just leave it at Todd. 
So what Todd was doing, though, Todd was tearing shreds off Joel Osteen on the interwebs. And I just, you know, that, that, that scripture came to me about taking it. If you have an issue with your brother, take it to him. Because, of course, we're talking about issues inside the church now. Yeah. In essence, although yes, yeah, obviously yeah. Todd would, would claim that, that Joel is not inside the church. But be that as it may. We, I, I just decided, to, <laughs> I decided to, to write to Todd yeah. and to suggest, just to make a, a, a gentle suggestion, to yes. say, perhaps consider the scripture and instead of tearing shreds off him, why, would it not be a good idea to jump on a plane, make an appointment, have a coffee and begin a dialogue where perhaps some fruit could come of that? Yeah. You know, why not? Why not? Why not I, try I, something different if, if, if nothing is changing with your current strategy? I think strategy? it's a very gracious email, a gracious uh, approach yeah, from you. Right, yeah. right. Reasonable. So, so I, did, I did get a reply from Todd, a very clear yeah. reply. And, and Todd proceeded to tell me that by virtue of the fact that I had made the suggestion, yeah. I had now actually and corporeally and, and properly connected myself. Wow. To the actual four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation. Goodness. I'd ac actually connected myself with them. Yes. And that I was going to absolute hell and destruction if I did not repent immediately. And just in case I didn't quite get the message, he also added about four or five chapters of his book oh, good. to the email. Yes. Just so that I could absolutely get the message of damnation and hell that was coming upon me. And wow. of course... I'm, 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 I've never had that kind of credit given to me that to have that kind of status. I mean, the four horsemen. Goodness. We're talking, we're talking revelations here. This is amazing. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to pan out, but yeah. you know, that's quite and, something. And if to he's be... right, then this podcast, you're one of our most esteemed podcast guests, because <laughs> I, I, I must be honest, I, I've been looking forward to having an interview with one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He's yeah, people. But okay, so that was your first foray. You were, you were, you were named anathema, almostly there yep. in that moment. But mm. then, um, but then also there's another famous. Uh, um, podcaster, blogger, defender of the faith. Um, somebody would call him the original heresy hunter in America, J.D. Hall. That's and right. um, uh, tell us about that. And he's in the news at the moment, and we're not here to pick apart his own life and that no, story. No, not at all. Not but at all. Um, you had a back and forth with him. Uh, maybe bring us up to speed with that. I see you've got the email here with you. Um, are yes. you going to read big uh, quotes from this email? No, or no, 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 no. Maybe a backdrop. No, I just, I just want to read you his reply because it's one sentence. But um, in essence, with J.D. Hall. That was an interesting one because he's, he had a, 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 a truth, he called it the polemics report, I think it was. It was a website. Yes, just, yes. And again, just kind of taking people apart, slating them and all that type of thing, which is, which is very prevalent again in the, in the evangelical conversation in the United yeah. States, obviously. So what I did in this case was I simply, I simply wrote him a letter because he had an, an interesting scenario. Now, he's a pastor of First Baptist Church in Montana. Okay. And um, in Sydney, Montana. Sydney is, is a little town in Montana. And he had engaged a youngster by the name of Braxton Craner online. And it was actually ended up being quite a tragic story because he was not happy with the behavior that this kid uh, was, was exhibiting. And, this, and this, this kid was a professed Christian. And so J.D. Hall was having a go at him. And it turned out that so, so there was an exchange between yes. the two of them. And then a while, a little a short while after, a couple of weeks later, I believe, uh, Braxton Craner committed suicide. Wow. So 
this then resulted in a very interesting sort of uh, letter to the church from J.D. Hall to his own church and a sort of confession of, of wow. he's, he's broken, he's devastated. And he felt that he had disqualified himself from his radio ministry because he had a radio ministry called Pulpit and Pen. Um, and and a, I think possibly a podcast at the time, I'm not sure, but he had a radio ministry and this polemics report, which was the website. So I watched this with interest, and but nothing happened at his church level, right? So yes. I then just wrote him a letter to say, I'm just fascinated to understand that with your brokenness and your, your, your sense of disqualification of ministry from, from radio podcasting and all of that, how, why did that not translate into your pastorate, into yeah. your church ministry? So, and, and the letter that I wrote was actually very long because I also wrote to him about, I had noticed that he was getting quite, quite jaded and, and, and very cynical in a lot of his mm. um, uh, radio ministry and podcasting. So I, I thought I just wanted to kind of, you know, open the conversation a bit and chat to him and just find out what's going on. And, and then I asked him what sort of process of discipline he'd gone through in terms of restoration, if at all. And so his response to me was this. And I, I quote, he said, in a dearth of truth, God help. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's good. In a dearth of truth, God help the man who complains about how hard the rain falls. Wow. That was it. Whatever. So I thought, okay, um, <laughs> my email was three pages. That's wow. one sentence. So then I, I, I thought, okay, let me find out where his board is. So I found the address of his board, right, that he reports to. As one does. Yeah, As one does. Course, yeah. So I forwarded my mail to them and I thought, okay, I'll ask them the same questions. I'm just interested, you know, is there not sort of a bit of an incongruency between, yes. between him, you know, saying yeah. that he's disqualified? And so I didn't even get a reply from them. I was very polite, but yeah. I didn't even get a reply. And so that's where your correspondence with JD has ended. That's it. That's it. The line one, well, yet again, in a dearth of truth, God help the man who complains about hard the, how hard the rain falls. Can you help make sense of that just a little bit? <laughs> I think what he's saying is that he's he's absolutely justified and right okay. in rejecting my questions, wow. which is which is interesting because it's it's so. In other words, I, I guess what he's also doing is he's excusing his own behavior in the wow. pursuit of truth. So he's very much an avenger of truth, and I think yes. if it's almost in line with the kind of crusade mentality, yeah. Or like, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm defending the truth, therefore yeah. get out of my way. Yeah. The ends justify the means. Correct, totally, yeah. totally. And, and it is fascinating because in other conservative circles these days, and I've got to be very careful because there are much bigger names as well yeah. involved, but I am finding, and, and again, I'm, I've come from a very, very kind of eclectic mix of yeah of the theology and the terms of growing up in a very strict sort of reform, Calvinistic sort of yes. theological uh, yeah. standing, God having then taken me across into a much more charismatic, not Pentecostal, we yeah. can't ever go there, but, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, joking. <joke. laughs> it's just a joke, I'm with you, yeah. But, <laughs> but into that sort of, sort of a, a, a charismatic environment, yes. which has been phenomenal, just, just seeing God working in, in the prophetic and gifted. But what I'm finding is that so often in, the, in that more conservative elements, again, there's, there's a lot of pride, arrogance, wow. yeah. and a completely unapologetic nature yes. in discourse. Wow. Right? 
So I, I find that absolutely fascinating. And, and, and it's interesting because I've seen a lot of that even more recently with other churches and bigger names. Yes. That there's never an apology or a, or a step back. Yeah. It's always, I'm right. I have the whole truth with me. And therefore, beware mm. because I'm, you know, I'm coming for you. So maybe that's the question, I think, for this episode that I love to, to bring us to in the close is to ask you, how do we hold the line theologically without um, becoming a Pharisee? In a sense, and maybe that's too simplistic of a way to do it because mm. even there, you, you weren't saying in your, in your first uh, uh, defense of the truth yeah. um, with Todd uh, and defending Joel Osteen. You weren't defending Joel Osteen's theology sure. or lack sure. thereof. Sure. You, weren't, you weren't saying, I'm a big fan. And yet... Um, how do you, so how do we do that line? Because I mean, again, one could argue then, how do you, you not fall into the same trap of a JD Hall where yeah. you're saying, I'm going to question you on your right. thing and not and just excuse my right. Right. reality and what I'm doing with it. And it becomes this online back and forth, which, yeah, which is just so it's pointless. pointless. How, how do we, we want to be theologically sound. We want to be, theolo- mm. hold the line. This has never been more needed to have theological convictions in a world where, Truth is relative, and you pick your truth, uh, pick and choose whatever sure. you, what fits whatever fits the bill for the day. But how do we do that without becoming hard-hearted, cold, cynical, Pharisaical, taking the the plank, uh, the speck out of our brother's eye without ignoring the plank in our own eye? Mm. How, how do we do that? Well, I, I kind of feel I need a lot more time to prep for that question. But off the top, <laughs> first of all, I think I genuinely believe we need to take ourselves a lot less seriously. I love that. I can um, do that. I can do that. Because we, I mean, honestly, all of, all of pride and arrogance comes out of it, an assumption that I've, yeah. I know it all. Brilliant. But I think secondly, the, the thing about, about authentic Christianity is holding things in tension. Yeah. Because, and, and I think the gun debate is an interesting example. So all I can, just to illustrate that. It's possible for me at the same time to abhor and hate guns and, and, and gun violence. Yeah. But at the same time, absolutely support the protection of the innocent life. Therefore, somebody has, somebody can legitimately own a firearm or, and use that to defend their family or an innocent life. Yeah. I don't have to like guns but I can hold that tension as well. But what we tend to do these days is got to be one or the other. Yeah. Well, you have to be theologically. So again, in, in the States, a lot of that discourse is, you know, the Bible, God and guns. Yeah. Guns have to go into that category. Yeah. Well, do they really? And Trump. Because at the same, and Trump. Yeah. And because at, at the same time, we, <laughs> we know yeah. that our prophetic future is that we will beat swords into plowshares. Wow, yeah. There will be no violence in yes. the ultimate kingdom. Yeah. Right now, we're not there yet. So we live with this tension of... So to be theologically stupid, and, and I think that's what pushes my buttons when I see stuff that is so utterly puerile and stupid yes. in the church, I like to try and understand it yeah. and address it if there's a way to address it. Mm. And the stupidity is to fall into a tribe yeah. because Jesus did not... So good. Jesus was seen with prostitutes. He was seen with, with people who were the dregs of society. Yeah. So you can imagine that, that righteous attitude looking at, at Jesus and saying, oh, look, look what he's doing. Yeah. And again, we, it was the Pharisees. They did that. Yes. They accused him of that. But we have to hold things in tension. The moment we try and interpret everything through one lens is when we get into serious trouble. 
Very good. Oh, Malcolm, I love it. You're giving us a, a lot to think about there. And uh, tell us now, who have you got lined up in your sights now? Who's who's in, in the crosshairs that you got? Are you ready with the keyboard, ready to go? Who, who, who's going down next? Uh, have we got some big names in lineup for episode two that we're going to, when we catch up next? Oh, well, don't get me started. I'd, I'd love I'd love to chat about the the... The, the prophetic voices who prophesied Trump's second <laughs> term. Oh, oh, that was, that oh was brilliant. Malcolm, that's just a nice teaser. I, a nice teaser I've engaged there. a couple of those, but they're not even talking to me. Not they talking won't talk to, you to me. No, 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 they won't. But okay. uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I should name names, but I mean, those are, those are the, the, there's some genuine, genuine stupidity going on there. I mean, serious stuff. But just, just the kind of thing that is, that you kind of wonder how they got there. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just typical Christian nationalism, first of all, yes. which, is a, which is another interesting thing. I mean, we've got to talk about Greg Boyd's book. We've got to talk about books to, for people to read, to understand yes. why Jesus said, Give, render unto Caesar, what, to Caesar and God to God, obviously, because yeah. it's a separation. But so maybe the episodes to come, you'll, you'll, give, you'll give us your recommend, book recommendations of what to read. But also, I know you are good at giving us recommendations of what not to read. <laughs> Who to avoid at all costs. <laughs> the Harry Sea Hunter is just getting started. And, and I know how much you love America. You are a fan. <laughs> Malcolm, just, just tell us, uh, as we land, tell us why such vociferous hatred for the nation of America. <laughs> no, 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 just, just be careful. Um, <laughs> I, I, cannot, I cannot say hatred. But, oh, I, I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is a whole discussion on itself. But very briefly, I grew up on Bonanza. And eight is enough, and all the American programs. Because when I was a youngster, don't give teen, away your age, hey, Malcolm. No. I won't. I won't. People I are, are I won't. thinking that I'm talking to uh, mid twenties here, but no, no. <laughs> Bonanza. That's, yeah, I remember that show. Remember that. And yeah. Shane. <laughs> so when 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 TV came to South Africa, yes. the the UK had what was called the Equity Ban. So they banned all their programs were banned. We had no British television here. Wow. So we only had American television. So I grew up on the American diet of of whatever it was, westerns and everything else. And I loved it. I thought America was the greatest nation in the world. Then a long story short, my dad went there. My dad went, went on a preaching tour to Ohio and Dallas. Okay. And, and he with his host were pulled off the, 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 the highway by the California, no, not California, the California Highway Patrol. They, went, they were in Dallas, Texas. And they were pulled off by the highway patrol because they were driving a car that was similar to one that had just been stolen. So okay. the whole story, hands on the, on, on, on wow. the hood. Guns out, the whole stuff. So I was like, this is a, an amazing country. They just kick butt when it's needed all the time. Yeah. But then, all of a sudden, became the change of presidency, the Bushes, and then the Gulf War started. Oh, my and goodness. I started to ask questions about sort of how their foreign policy works yeah. and what, how does this, you know. And then, of course, the Christian nation stuff. And then it, it moved into the, the sort of weapons of mass destruction that weren't really, you know. Oh, good old George W. Iraq, yeah, yeah. Iraq and all that. And I just began to, to just start asking some questions. Funny enough, similarly to our own nation in South yes. Africa, what was actually going on here? And I think over over a period of time, I started to realise that, wow, there's there's something going on which is more than what you, you might just see on the surface. And from there, it kind of morphed into what was starting to happen in the evangelical church over mm. there, the sort of tribalism and debates and and um, just the Prosperity gospel preaching, a lot of that, a lot of corruption in church. Never mind, just yeah. in, in the nation itself. And so I think it just it just kind of made me a lot more sober minded about yeah. sort of the the roots of of what's causing a lot of that within the church and also within the nation. Um, and so yeah, it's it's I, I will never say say that I 
I hate it, but it's just fascinating to me how the, how the church in, in, in the States has, seems to have lost so much of their grip on the gospel. Mm. And I've just run down rabbit holes of their own making. And Malcolm, let me tell you, though, what we would love to say is you can make as many rabbit holes as you want and we'll follow you them into, the, with you, into them with you because you are the heresy hunter. And we're excited to go on that journey. And um, uh, Malcolm, you're going to be appearing in a few episodes in a, in a month by monthly, and we're so excited to to see who's who's in the in the firing line next. So um, as you can hear, Malcolm is uh, he's articulate, he's astute, he's theolog theologically wise, and he's unafraid of a fight. So if you have somebody that you think that needs to be taken down, if you've got some questions, if you are saying, hey, what about X, Y, Z? Why don't we ask Malkin? Why don't we ask the Heresy Hunter? Because we'll leave no stone unturned. We'll leave no email replied, not replied to. We'll go after it for you. But Malcolm, what a privilege to have you on the Gabe Phillips Show tonight. And I look forward to sitting down with you again soon. Privilege. Thanks for having me. This was the Gabe Phillips Show. And we're out. Yeah.